BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The truth is, I think it was very hard to be Gary. He was complex, at times neurotic, persnickety, high maintenance, a perfectionist with the highest standards, and he could be a handful. Being in his company um, required extra patience. I think the fact that he spelled his name with two R's was a warning that he was going to be complicated. <laughs> I don't know why he creates that much trouble for himself. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. I'm George Chen. And you're listening to SupDoc, where we celebrate the good, bad, and ugly of all things documentaries with insightful interviews, unscripted humor, games, and the occasional horrible impression. On today's episode, it's the return of Wayne Fetterman, comedian and co-producer of the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. The two-part biography, directed by Judd Apatow, was recently released on HBO. A longtime friend of Shandling's, Wayne played Larry's brother Stan on the groundbreaking series The Larry Sanders Show. We also find out he was part of the storied Sunday basketball game that Shanling hosted at his home. Wayne's credits include Transparent, Seinfeld, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Head Monologue Writer for Fallon, and much, much more. He teaches comedy history at USC and wrote a book about Pistol Pete Maravich. And now, here's our talk with Wayne Fetterman. So we are here to talk about the Zen Diaries of Gary Shanling, Doc, on HBO. Yep. Two-parter. Two-parter. Uh, there are emperors who haven't had a documentary this long <laughs> de- de- dedicated to them. Um, what I mean, essentially, what a love letter to Gary Shanley. I mean, well, that's- in a way it is. And before we even begin, I'd like to say that yeah, I'm just, I was a co-producer of that, which is like the lowest level of producer you can be. <laughs> So there were people that were way more involved with this documentary. Right. You know, Sam, who was the producer of it, and and obviously Judd, who, you know, conceptualized the whole thing, and Joe, the editor, were just like way, like, sure. how far out? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. space, the yeah, final yeah. frontier out. Yeah. Compared to, I just, I just don't want to seem like I'm taking credit for something that I just, I was involved with, but. Right. Right, 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 but you you weren't extremely co, co. hands on. No, you're, you're not a, through the whole process. That's the way I'm a co-host on this show. Right, actually. Yes, it's very right. Yeah. Much you know what it feels like. Yeah. Yes, I do. I'm sorry. I just I just don't <laughs> want to come off as like, oh, this is so much produced. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, it says that. But how many points did you get on the back end for this? <laughs> <laughs> That's what's more interesting. You know, you know how much money documentaries make. <laughs> Why Tons. do you think I have this new house? <laughs> yeah, look around. And this look is around. the wing that documentaries made. <laughs> right. Uh, that's well, well, uh, but you were a part of it. No question. And, no, right from the beginning. Yeah. Right from the get-go. And, and you knew Gary. Very well. That's, very well. When did you... Do you remember what year you met old Mr. Well, Shanling? it was... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, before we even get to that, yeah. can I address the love letter part? Oh, yes. Yeah. Please. Because I feel like this documentary, we didn't want it to be a love letter. So the fact that oh. you feel like it's just all love for yeah. this guy. Yeah. I thought it was... We were going for 
more like this is humanity. Uh. This is a creative guy with flaws, and obviously he fires his girlfriend after he breaks <laughs> up with her. Yes, and he's you know the situation with Alan's Weibel where they're not even right. talking at the end of it's Gary Shandling show. So I really thought the whole thing was very much not. Could you? I've seen very affectionate documentaries, many of them, and I thought it was in the. I thought it celebrated his life, but I don't know if it was a love letter. Got it. Uh, do you think I'm overreacting? You think I'm too sensitive? Neither. Um, it just seems to me when when you're a, like someone who has the relationship that Judd had with Gary, yes. it's going to be warts and all, and it's still to me a love letter okay. because it's okay. like made affectionately, but he wasn't trying to hide any of the. What do you, do you also think love letter? I I. Didn't think I, it's really hard when someone has passed on, and like it's yes. most of the time when you do a documentary on someone who's passed on, like I, it's not the way that let's say almost every sports documentary almost is too glowing about people, right, 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 right. And so I didn't think it was like let's say like compared to like the Andre the Giant thing where you almost don't get this interior sense of this guy's life. I mean, I think there's a sense that he is the hardest person on himself. That really comes yeah, across. Yeah, right, right. So I, in that sense, I didn't really... I wouldn't say that. When I tell people about it, I think it's more interesting just like the struggles that he was internally having. So in that sense, I don't find it to be that much. But maybe because it is filtered through a Judd lens, I think is maybe no the part of it that you're picking up on in, yeah. in terms of love letter. But I, when I've talked to people about it, I haven't said that it's a love letter. But I, I, I do think it's like... It's not necessarily like... Is it let's a letter? fixate on the negative at is all. It, is it a letter? <laughs> it is, is it like even, yeah, HBO yeah. makes letters, right? That's yeah. what they do now. It's, it's essentially a letter. <laughs> I like a four a four hour letter I just got from HBO. It's not the love part. I'm not, yeah. It's the letter part right. that really bugs me. That you keep bringing it up. <laughs> I mean, to, to put it in another context, because we're here at your place, and oh, we just funny. picked up like his memorial guidance. Like, yeah. you wouldn't be like. Man, that memorial guide should have really exposed more of his warts. No, I don't even <laughs> do that. <laughs> well, it's yes, yes, yes. That was a little different. But mm-hmm. okay, that's that's all I wanted to say. Yeah. I wanted to address okay. that. Your question was, when did I meet Gary? Yeah. I first auditioned for the show before I had ever met him. In fact, I was just going through, as you can see, I have a lot of my life here that I'm sort yeah. of going through. I saw some yearbooks over here. Yeah, there's yearbooks the <laughs> from South Plantation High School. Um but this is, uh, but I was, I found, I came across a ticket. I went to a taping of It's Gary Shanling Show oh, before wow. it ever aired. Wow. In 1986, in the awesome. summer of 86. And it came out, I think, in the fall of 86, if I'm not mistaken, in on Showtime. And I didn't have show. I couldn't afford Showtime right. at that. Yeah. So, um, and what I don't remember much about the episode, but I do remember, unlike any other television taping I've ever been to, no a warm-up comic, just a band when the in-between sets. That was my question. Who was a warm-up comic? Yeah, for yeah, Gary yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's so, interesting. I know, I know. Seeing that Gary was a stand-up comic. I know, but I think I kind of remember him riffing a lot on the set, and mm. that would sort of warm him up and get uh, him yeah. going a little mm-hmm. bit. But yeah. Um, so it, anyway, just an interesting side. So that was the first time I saw him in person. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, I, of course, I had known from the Tonight Show mainly was right. how I knew him. I didn't know that Mike Nesmith show. I didn't. Yeah. Wait, he did Mike Nesmith's show too? Yes. yes. I, know, I remember Bobcat did Mike Nesmith's yes? show. Oh. Yeah. I remember Bobcat feeding a bacon 
bake into a pig. That's what I remember from that <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes sense. Mike Nesmith from the Monkees. Yeah, yes. he yeah. produced Repo Man, and what? he also like yeah invented music videos, according to Mike Nesmith. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, of course. He lives in Santa Cruz now. I don't know why I know all this stuff about right. the Monkees. Interesting. Right. Love the monkeys. If you don't know Mike Nesmith, he was the one with the hat. Right, right, right. Yeah. He was the talented one. Wasn't wasn't he like? Know. I thought Michael Dolan's is very talented. The I think they guy? all had some talents, but oh. yeah, he's the Davey one. Davy Jones was on Broadway. What are you talking about? <laughs> he's the only one that produced Repo Man. That's all I have to say. It's just a love credit. letter to the monkeys. Is all I'm saying. Again with the letter. <laughs> I can't help myself. Mm-hmm. I because you know, no George Harrison was is credited with like bringing about um, the modernization of British films. So maybe there was oh. something. Because he financed the, the Monty Python films yes, and stuff. Yes, he did. Oh, yeah. I knew there was some connection between the Beatles and the Pythons, but I didn't know totally. They and like the, the Bonzo Ruddles, dog if band. I'm not mistaken. Yes, the Ruddles. Which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys like the Bonzo dog band, doodah band? You know, that oh, yeah. Stuff? Yeah. That's yeah. sort of I, like I don't. crossover. The uh, Ruddles, though. The Ruddles. Ruddles yeah. Yeah. The Ruddles is amazing. Yeah. I remember Guild my, is in that, right? Oh, really? I think. Oh, the film. Yes. Possibly in the film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because guys, we're writing so many love letters today. Yeah, I we know. are. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're, go- <laughs> we're going off a little bit. No, uh, it's fine. But in a weird way, I feel when Judd saw the uh, George Harrison two-part Scorsese documentary, I think that while I'm speaking again, right. someone who's wor- that part of it was like, I I think he saw it like that when he, when he started putting it together. Mm-hmm. Like that, as deep a dive as that, right? It's a very deep dive. I'd yeah, say. yeah, I, that's yeah. it's a dive. It's not no letter. It's, it's a dive. Yeah, it's more of a deep. <laughs> deep it's more of a dive. Like we're going snorkeling into the the channeling world. Uh, so you, so, you, so I auditioned for the show. For there was an episode where there was a bunch of uh, Jews. <laughs> like I guess Hank became Jewish or something. Oh, for the Larry Sanders. Show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, he tries to convert. Yes. yes. So there's executives that try, I don't know what. So I I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But I saw him at the audition, and then about that time I auditioned for the brother and started playing basketball at the same time. That's Ooh. really uh, which came first, getting I know, the role. No, that's a good. I know it sounds like oh, I play basketball, but <laughs> he was very like adamant about like the basketball game was like sort of this show business free zone right. where he was like if you were trying to like angle it or anything like that he would sniff those guys out immediately and you would mm-hmm. be asked back i yeah. i remember i don't know how long ago this was but it was when i had fantasies of being a comedian and actor and i read in a newspaper article that golf was no longer the sport of hollywood and it was now basketball Oh, and if you wanted to like rub elbows with the echelon of the executive producer types and directors and actors that you you had to play basketball, and I'm a basketball player, and I was like, oh, this is my your in. This is this is my in, and it specifically mentioned how Gary had a famous basketball game that we'd play every weekend, and it also mentioned that caveat that you he wouldn't let people talk about the business. It wasn't he wouldn't let, but he I think he had an antenna that was like and uh, this is about me for one second. Please. For one second. <laughs> Good God. Me. Enough about Gary Chandler. Uh, that the whole time I played basketball right until the end, and you can see and you know, in and I'm in that that I never realized that it was Gary trying to create this familial familial Family, Family yeah. something. Love weird. letter. And uh, 
that I was just there to like have a good time. Yeah. But like the, it was really important to him that he built this house. He built that court. And every Sunday, I mean, he, you know, he had a catered sometimes from oh, wow. Jones on third or sometimes pizza. And yeah. like, it was a thing. That's it was, awesome. it was a real. And so I, I don't know. Now when we were making the documentary, it was like, Oh, this, this was important to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I, yeah. And that's like, just the, how oblivious I am to things. And you know, right, right, right. Someone other was people, other people's in earth. Yeah. <laughs> there was a guy who was trying to make a film about just those, Sun, Sundays only basketball yeah, yeah, games, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I guess that's when he had to go in for the surgery. Yeah, that kind of got uh, yeah, yeah, put on the outs. So a lot of footage. I imagine there's a lot more footage of the basketball. There's not stuff. that much more because we uh-huh. didn't shoot the, uh, the the we didn't really shoot the game that much. And so I was kind of surprised. It's just a half court. I know. I thought for sure. It I was tried like a full to. Con- court. I tried to convince him. I tried to. You convince did him. to yeah. make a full court. I tried to make yeah, yeah. or at least have two baskets. Two so baskets. We have two games going yeah, on, yeah. and then the winners go right. Because you can only you really wouldn't listen it. to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's the point of this <laughs> podcast. The guy would not listen. to me. Make me a full producer. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us why Gary was so stubborn. Gary right. would not listen. <laughs> but it was gorgeous. I mean, it was down like the house was kind of uh, up, uh, you know, a street level, and then the court was. Sort of went down this little pathway to get to, and yeah. it was isolated by trees. It was incredible. Did you meet anyone playing those games that, like, you became good friends with just oh. outside of the game? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, you know, it went everywhere from like you know comedian guys that Gary knew to you know select like to me the greatest game I ever played was once Bob Costas played what? in the game. No, no, no. This it gets even better. So. Bob, Cos- yeah, I'm kind of tall, but I'm like, in a way, trans because I'm like trapped in a, I'm like a guard trapped in a forwards body. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, right. You I'm got sorry. Hand- do you have handles? Send the evening ahead. Attack, <laughs> tweet, attack. tweet, 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 with Gary and then Costas was talking about the football game. I'm like, okay, that's the voice <laughs> that should be coming out of the TV. That's insane. <laughs> that's insane. I'm surprised you didn't try to get an elbow in that pretty face of his. <laughs> like, uh, fucking Bob Costas. No, no, nah, he was. That's awesome. He was scrappy. He was pretty good. Was he? Yeah. What, what, five, Louis? five, five, six. Okay, I don't know. I'm just wondering. He seems like a short man. Yeah, I guess he was mad at me for being tall and not taking advantage yeah. of it. Like he would be like, "If I had your six foot two yeah. inches," I've of- played in those games where big guys just want to shoot threes, and you're just like, "What are you doing?" We okay, need you so to you rebound. agree with Costas? Yes, I got actually. You. Yeah, you're attacking me, <laughs> and that's our podcast. I know nothing about basketball, which explains my status in you don't? Uh, the entertainment world. Also, yeah, oh, wow. he checks out when five we talk four, sports. and uh, I'm just like. Uh, okay, can I say something about my new house? Yeah, yeah real please. quickly, really, yeah. and then we'll get into half court up back. No, 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 oh, I don't. Awesome. No back. Um, <laughs> that I am going to get a Xbox. I've never, I've never gamed at all in my life. Yeah. So I assume this is part of no. 
Oh, for me? Yeah. Oh, I love no. it. No? No, you've been to my place. I don't... I don't, oh, I don't never mind then. Never I mind. Do. I'm you excited do. about Rampage, weirdly. For, I played that game on like a, on an old PC, but yeah. I'm not okay. a big game guy. Okay. I like... I have PS4. Okay. I, or whatever. Yeah. Get yeah. a PS4. You're, oh, okay. I think. Well, let's talk Rampage. Yeah, yeah. And let's go back to Gary. And right. you're getting right. a piano also. You're going to get a piano in here. Oh, this, there's going to be a piano. Oh, right. Right there. Oh, nice. Where that... Baby Grant. Probably going to be a baby grand. Upright? Yes, yeah. an upright baby grand. Yeah. <laughs> a diagonal piano. It'll <laughs> be on a diagonal 45 degree angle. <laughs> you know, that's they still make those, don't they? But guys, thanks for coming to the house. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Are, Are we your first guests? In a way, yes. Oh, I mean, two. Nice. Like well, three. the guy setting up the internet. Yeah, he was here yeah, first. Yeah. Yeah. Spectrum. So you, you first met Gary at the audition. For First Larry met Gary at the audition, and then you got you did get a part on the show. You can get a part on the show as his brother, right. and then I think when that happened, he he was like, "Do you want to play in this game?" I'm right. doing, and Judd was still playing in the game at the time, so I knew it knew, knew him. So th- kind of through Judd, I guess mm-hmm. was like, yeah. I was really surprised. I did not know the story of Judd interviewing comedians when he was oh, a teenager. Didn't? I didn't That's know that. That's his famous claim to... That's his claim to yeah, fame. Yeah, I think... Famous to famous. Played, yeah, they <laughs> played him on Marion before, too. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was his thing. He was, like, the first comedy nerd, right? He was, like, the, doing, like, basically, like, a fanzine like by, like, interviewing comedians 100%. when he was, like, in high school. That's amazing. And, yeah. And the fact that they still had the cassette taped. It says, like, Judd interviews Gary oh, or Judd, something. You, I mean, you see, I'm a little bit... I call, Judd has everything he ever... Everything. Yeah. Wow. I, it reminds me that I used to listen to this radio show in San Francisco, and I got an interview with Greg Proops. Oh. But I don't remember if I had it on tape. Mm. I remember calling him in a personal number and like asking him some really generic high school question. This is when I was Did in high school. Did you transcribe it? I, fi- I never ran it anywhere. I'm wondering if I have notes like somewhere of like just me asking Greg Proops some dumb questions. Right. The but smartest yeah. man in the world. <laughs> I, was, I was. I mean, he was. Was accessible. he the smartest man back then? Well, to me, everyone was smarter. I mean, I was in high school. Or junior no, I'm high. saying was he billing himself? No, that? I don't think he was in, in the San Francisco days. I think it must have been post going to England or whatever. Yeah. Right. But yeah. yeah, I mean, a bunch of these people I used to listen to in San Francisco. I just like ran. In, I met like Carrie Snow the other day. I was just like, I used to listen to you like when I was in junior high. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. like, Oh my god, I'm I'm doing my 40th anniversary of stand up in <laughs> in Throckmorton. I'm like, Oh geez. Oh wow. Yeah. What was it, Alex Bennett? That was the show I grew up listening to. Did you have a similar type of show that you grew up listening to? No, nothing in Michigan? No. Like no. That? There was nothing quite. Other, there was like some redneck radio stations that played like this, some stupid sketch stuff right. I would listen to. But I didn't have anything like that. When I was a kid, I was very much had, there was two shows on Sunday night. Speaking of Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, back to back, uh, Dr. Demento right, right into right. National Lampoon. And so this is before uh, SNL. This is early, like seventy three, seventy four, and so that's that when nas- I first learned about Belushi and all of those guys from that. Well, right, that was nas- nationally syndicated. Yep. Oh, I didn't. Know yeah, that. I got it in Florida. And you were a musical plantish. Sound plantish. <laughs> we're looking now. at my yearbook. Right now. <laughs> and you're kind of like a music comedy guy too. So like, that Demento must have been a huge thing for you. Not. I mean, no? at the time, I wasn't that mm-hmm. music. Uh, yeah, Demento was amazing. It was. I just felt like okay, this is something I love, mm-hmm. and listen to it. That was a, that was a back to back syndication yeah. package. I think that National Lampoon doc is a love letter. That brilliant, drunk, okay. crazy. Oh, stuff. Yeah. We were gonna do that the one David at some Wayne? point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's a great. It's a very interesting documentary. It's mm-hmm. very long, but it's also very interesting. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know about mm-hmm. that organization. Guys, I don't know what is going on, but I mean, I do know what's going on. There's a crazy comedy boom happening yeah. and we're right in the middle of it yeah we are right in the <laughs> we middle are, in are the we mid- at the middle or the end you bought a house so let's hope we're in the middle <laughs> we're in the middle yeah we're definitely i think Cut we're in the middle for sale <laughs> <laughs> get out there's a sheriff at the door i'm uh, gonna need that refrigerator box back <laughs> i'll be living very good, very good yeah that's awesome who was the first like modern day musical comedian i mean there was like victor borga didn't he do like comedy mm-hmm. and Borga, stuff? Yeah. was oh. dudley moore would you think would he be yes 100 like, percent. i yeah. think the, the oh, well, beyond the fringe have you ever seen the footage of beyond the fringe he never does, seen footage of it i've heard no. some of the audio oh, they have yeah. all, they have it all and it's incredible and he does uh he a does piano, a couple yeah. piano routines but the the best one to me is the like the classical music song that doesn't end mm-hmm. so it's <laughs> like all oh, you so think, does he pause and then keep going it's incredible. I noticed that like, there is like a really deeper tradition in England of like their music hall comedy. Mm-hmm. So they really like funny songs and stuff have been like an ongoing thing. I of mean, course, course. Obviously in America there was as well, but it's like was more of like an active tradition, I think, up through like the 50s and 60s. Yeah. But there yeah. was also Spike Jones did music mm-hmm. and um, wait, there was some other. Oh, Tom Lehrer, of course. Oh, right. Right. Tom yeah. That young man had a violin, right? Yeah. 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 Who is the the Mark Russell? Who's the guy? Oh, Mark, Mark Russell. Yeah. Yes. Mark Russell. Yeah. Wasn't, didn't he do like Here's political? Here's a song about uh, Lee Atwater. <laughs> yeah. Atwater. yeah. <laughs> but it was always like songs from like the 1800s it's all oh, like yeah. Yankee Doodle yeah. Atwater Ronald so. Reagan went to town yeah. Yeah. so uh, you knew Gary and you mm-hmm. helped co-produce this documentary but was there anything in it that surprised you you didn't know about Gary oh Shannon? yes yeah well I, I wasn't I wasn't didn't know I mean there was a lot now that yeah. I'm thinking about it but I didn't know that the reason he found out that Brad Gray was oh, doing some shenanigans was because they were doing discovery in his lawsuit against his girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like that. That was the thing. They were like, "Oh, you don't want to see these, these, this information." Like, yeah, well, no, I think we do. And that was the start oh, of this man. incredible falling out that ruined his relationship with Bob Saget and a number of people. Right. Yeah. So it but was, that was just like figuring out the financial stuff with like, yes, Brad it Gray. was a financial, yeah. yeah. That Brad Gray was like, we're not going to let you discover anything. And this has come up, I think with musicians too. It's like, you don't want your manager to also be your label because there's inherently a conflict oh, of interest. Like, this yeah. comes up, it yeah. came up a couple times with musicians and access well. to your bank account. Like mm-hmm. you don't, you don't want that. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are not savvy about showbiz, uh, right. um, money stuff. Yeah. I don't know why that might be the case but right. it seems especially to be. that generation where i think a lot of people grew up really poor mm-hmm. and then got into show business and made some money and they're just like you're talking about musicians now musicians and comedians well i think that the the musicians getting ripped off is is a longer running story right yeah i mean even billy joel i mean it was like right. billy joel it's not like oh you you expect it with oh those you know blues guys <laughs> yeah, right. know what they were doing. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But oh yeah, Billy yeah. Joel famously didn't his manager take everything. It he was had, yeah, and he had to release an album. And yeah, goes, that's 
goes L.A. and plays in the lounge rather than... To digress a little bit, have you heard Van Morrison's contractual obligation record that he made? Oh, it's great. It's basically he was stuck in a contract. He had to make a record as Van Morrison. And he just like, it sounds like a Jandek record. He's basically like, he's just like strumming like one note and just like muttering like, worms. (laughs) <laughs> the worms are gonna eat you. Like, I, I got to find you. This Van Morrison thing is pretty amazing. When I, I worked for a record label in San Francisco, and we had this guy under a contract as well that he didn't want to do, and he get, sent in a cassette tape. It sounded like him playing on a desk with spoons. That was about it. And he was like, "There you go, put that out." Yeah, <laughs> on your trance label. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I was surprised to find out he was an engineer. I didn't know that about Gary. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And as I as also, I mean, I knew he was an engineering student, but I think the discipline and the mental agility that he uh, possessed and uh, sort of nurtured in engineering really helped him a lot in stand-up. Mm-hmm. Well, he seemed to be super focused on his like yeah. joke writing. Yes, and yes. Like- yeah. Even to the end. I mean, right to the end, there's just reams of paper of jokes, ideas, then, then, this. Do you think it takes that kind of dedication and work ethic to be one of the greats? Or is, is it, on the opposite side of that question is like, can you be one of the greats without that kind of dedication and work ethic? You know, like I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I mean, when you think about it, like, I mean, certainly Carlin had it, and Seinfeld to an extent, and like they don't come along that way. And you know, I I'm going to bring up Louis C.K. and I'm sorry if I'm triggering somebody who doesn't know the story. <laughs> I think it's fine. Uh, you know, I think those guys just, I mean, think what Louis C.K. created yeah. over those five years. Like four, three specials, a television show. Uh, right. You know, it was insane. Actually, yeah. when you bring up like the engineering stuff, I did think about this story is like where Louis would just like pick up a computer off the street and then just like fake figure, break it out. It, figure it out. Or he was like an AV guy. Like, I think he was like a high school AV guy. Well, I could thread a projector. (laughs) But like that kind of that kind of like is ties in a little bit to like that kind of mentality of like an engineering person or someone who can like Mm -hmm. reverse it. I think a lot of comedy is reverse engineering. Uh, At least I don't know. Maybe I'm that's interesting. So tell me what that means. Like like it's taking uh, something and just breaking it down into its components right, and reconfiguring it. So or like looking at something from a slightly different perspective. So in a way, it's like. Reverse and and also like maybe because I just listen to comedy all the time. I'm just like, oh, like how did they? They must have like taken a premise and then like broken it down and then just reassembled it. That's kind of that kind of mentality which an engineer has. Yeah, or like right. you know that makes sense. That makes sense. And which I don't have because uh, I was not good at any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes I think you start with the. Well, you were good at basketball, right? Yeah, I exactly. remember that. Very good. I do remember that. About fundamentals. Yeah. I knew the fundamentals. <laughs> Yeah, you always you always flip, you always have I'm the L. constantly. Yeah. I'm yeah. always pivoting. You're right. The swan, as my coach would call it. I was never good at any sport except once when we played soccer, and it was just like the goal was only like a bench turn on its side. I'm like, I'll just lay in front of it. I'm just gonna get <laughs> reamed in the nuts. It'll be fine. I was also a little. I mean, I knew like Gary was into like meditation, but I didn't realize how big of a part of that is life. Well, I think Sarah said the key statement almost of the documentary, which was. Gary was searching for Zen calmness, not because he was Zen, because he was in desperate need of Of, finding some peace. Right. And I don't know if he ever found it. And even at the very beginning, it's I know we don't show the clip of it, but what Bill Maher says about him was like, I don't know if he was ever really at peace. I don't know if he was ever happy. It was hard to tell. 
He was searching, always looking for something. So, and I agree with that. I do think he was, at times, you know, when he was playing ball, sure. he seemed like he was just having a great time and, you know, and when he was on stage, but he was troubled. Yeah, like even the way he gets into Buddhism is almost like with that kind of same, like, total 110% right. enthusiasm that he got into everything else. It's like, it's like, Buddhism, let me go down a tunnel to the point, like, I'm getting this tattoo on my neck and all yeah. that stuff, yeah. Yeah. But the... I have to say, I don't know. I assume it's because Tom Petty passed away as well at the same age, mm-hmm. both at sixty six. Oh, that their so scenes together are just—I love those. They're yeah. so—they're transcendent. Yeah, because they're just talking shop and what it's how they come. They come down after a show, and it's just God. It is just beautiful, and there's—it's affectionate, and it's weird, you know, and it's just two masters at their craft too. You know, like these are two guys that really got their craft down. unbelievable yeah yeah that scene in tom petty's studio where they're hanging out is hysterical did he live i don't know if you know this but did he live near gary i think they lived up in the hills i wasn't there for that because i was kind of involved a little bit with those the dvd stuff yeah the Uh dvd stuff so um yeah um now, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know why I got this impression. It was just from watching them. I feel like they're neighbors. There's, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what's so amazing about those DVD specials. I think we talked about that, the DVD extras. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that a little bit. So you helped produce some of that yeah, stuff? Yeah, I was okay. very, I mean, I, I don't have a co-producer right. credit or anything. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was very much of right. There's like footage of like our initial pitch meeting yeah. to uh, Sony to do it. Like we were shooting that mm-hmm. and. Like it's it took two years. It it took a long time to put that together. Yeah, maybe three. Wow, maybe three years. Because the Larry Sanders show was six years. Yeah, run? I think it was till ninety eight or so. Yeah, I yeah. think it's ninety two to ninety eight. That's yeah. right. That's right. And what a like, oh man, what a groundbreaking show. Do you think this is another weird question? Yeah. But do you think his two shows, the Gary Shanley show and the Larry Sanders show, like in, invented the single camera? No. Sitcom thing? Okay. No, because what MASH did? was doing single camera, oh, and that MASH. was hugely popular. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's true. Good point. But I think it did, I mean, certainly the using the celebrities themselves yeah. and... Breaking the, the fourth wall. In a way, breaking the... I mean, they, Larry didn't really... Larry Sanders never talked to the camera... No, 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 yeah. but the um, first show, right? Yeah. Which I, I didn't yes. really watch the first show that I much growing up, it. but yeah. I taped it, and my friends and I would have like uh, sleepovers or whatever, and we'd watch it because our parents wouldn't you let loved us. loved it, huh? I loved yeah. it. Paul Wilson, are you yeah, kidding me? Yeah, yeah, Fucking yeah. loved that, dude. I loved it because it was so weird, mm-hmm. and Gary seemed like a kid. He seemed like a teenager on that show because mm-hmm. he was so weird and so goofy and it was weird i know conan loves that show oh also. i bet yeah, yeah yeah it seems like it like smart and silly which yeah. is one of my favorite that's my right. favorite comic genre 100 that's what that show was yeah and he'd, he'd be like uh, the next day and he'd pull out a turkey that was like already <laughs> eaten you know he'd yeah. show time passage that way and like but even the clip they we show in the documentary of him going through <laughs> yeah the, the sets and yeah, stuff yeah it's just incredible it's, yeah uh, that's funny 
He's like, Studio City is 10 minutes away from the ocean. Or you could walk through these Christmas trees and it's seven feet away. It's- I like those scenes where, like like you were saying, so there was no warm-up comic, but when he's just like... yeah. Like I'm sure the producers are just like, like, well, you're just gonna keep riffing. You're like right. you're not rolling yet. And of course, and he said like, I gotta do the riffing. Tonight Show yeah. next uh, yeah, a week yeah. from Monday or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. I've got an audience here. I might as well try. I didn't realize that 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 period of time it was like he had a whole sitcom that he was running at the same time that he was guest hosting Tonight Show. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that is like pretty much like all your dreams come true. And like, be Jesus. careful what you wish for. Like, 100%? it's just like too much, too much goodness happening. Yeah, and he was, you know, he was good at it, and I think he would get really disappointed if he didn't have a certain standard mm-hmm. that he went up to for both. He didn't want to half-ass either of them. Is what I think of course, it seemed like. Yeah. His, it's his name on his, the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it couldn't have been more personal. Yeah, absolutely. And when someone has like the level of anxiety that Gary Shandling <laughs> seemed to have, like that just that came through, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's only because I've I've watched a lot of docs. I'm pretty good now of the yeah. language of documentaries. But like when you have that much anxiety and that much um, in the inability to realize your self worth that it seemed like right. he had, like you don't feel like it, you're worth that much success. Oh, I yeah, maybe. Oh. I don't know. He was. I think he liked his stand. I think he liked his stand up. I really do. I mm-hmm. think he did, and I think he struggled with his acting oh, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And he, you know, we find Roy eventually. But I saw we found it's not in the documentary, but it might be eventually an old resume of his. And he uh, he had studied with another acting guy before Roy, oh. this guy Milton Castalis, who was Whoa. a uh, Sounds like a hard ass. No, okay. How could you even from his name? Because this someone named Milton Castalis is a guy who's going to be like, get off my stage. Uh, no, but he was a uh, what's the Scientologist was part of his thing. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, so I know he was really, and this is something Gary told me once that early on in his career, some casting director said, "You won't be. You're not a good actor." Whoa. Like, so, so I that know. sticking his craw, yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard thing to hear, That's especially really when you're, hard. you know. And so I think all of those shows he created an environment where he could shine the most as an actor. And I think that's that served him. I don't remember him sleeping. His work was his life. And I felt that as close as we became, to a great extent, I was auditioning still. Uh, auditioning as a person to not hurt him to not hurt him hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. 
Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Being told by a casting director that you can't act is like a nightmare scenario, at least for me, man. Like yeah. going into an audition, I mean, a casting director would be like, you know what? Maybe you should be a cook or something. Oh. Right. Maybe you're better off being something But else. I have to say, I feel like Gary in that engineering way. Like when he started doing stand up at the comedy store, Mitzi passed him, but she didn't like what he was doing at all. So he was able to, like, I'm going to work my way through this. I'm going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Mitzi R.I.P. Yes, Yes. who just passed away the last week. And then, uh, and then the same one with his casting director. Like, you can't, I, okay, well, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'll go to acting class. Okay, this was, you asked me, was there a surprise? I never knew he took dance class. Like right. he learned that right. from uh, Meryl Marco. Yeah, right. that's who was right. doing stand up around town at the same time. And famous and improv. He was in an improv group a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah, right. Like so, oh, he was really stretching. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm an engineer. What do I have to do to be a stand up comedian? Yeah, I have to be comfortable on stage. I have to be this. I have to write great jokes. I have to right. And he like dance class is a great way to like yeah and improv your man, i don't know why stand up comics have such a weird thing about improv cuz it costs money oh yeah <laughs> like maybe cuz you have to take classes oh, yeah. oh right they, what did you mean the the divide between yeah. the two yeah it's, i think that's less now than it was it should be cuz improv is a wonderful tool to like get into all that stuff true yeah. sidebar have you seen i know it sounds like the hackiest thing in the world and it's one of the best things i've ever seen the improv shakespeare company Oh, they're at Largo right now. Nice. Just, it's uh, a recommendation. We're, we're, we're going to leave it at that. LA okay. recommendation. Okay. It sounds like, oh, this is yeah. <laughs> the worst kind of. <laughs> right. Please get me out of yeah. here. Iambic pentameter. All over the place. Is <laughs> it's good. Beyond good. Oh, I want to see it. It is thrilling comedy. Yeah. Okay. One of the best improv groups I've ever seen was out of, uh, I think, UCB here. Mm-hmm. I saw them at Sketchfest one year in San Francisco. And it was a series, it was a showcase of improv groups. And it yeah. went from just horrific to the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life. I feel like that's the problem with improv. It, it is. is. Sometimes the same in the same show is like that. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, of course it is. But I guess every stand-up show is like that. But Gary, well, not was, everyone. Gary was willing. The thing is, like, when when you have that thirst, I guess, and you have that passion, you're just like, you know what? Fuck it. You, if you tell me I'm not good enough, I'm going to go learn how to be good I enough. think that's what, that was another thing I gleaned from it. That I only knew Gary is the successful comedian. Right. Oh, yeah. From the Tonight Show. I mean, everyone remembers that first Tonight Show with the pen yeah. and all of that. And so... But it, it was like looking back, I know you want to call it reverse. En- I don't know if it's engineering or reverse engineering, mm-hmm. but it's very logical, methodical. Keep my head down. This is what I need to do to do this. Yeah. yeah. That comes and across, it achieved yeah. incredible levels. Oh, oh, my God. Yes. I think oh, quickly, we, too. Yeah. We had just talked about his hurly burly acting. Right. That was the thing. I think that when we, we stopped right. was like that film. And then, you know, it was. Great to see him like just stretching out more and like doing something like like he's an Iron Man like just yes, acting in yeah, Iron Man. He was great and he yeah, was great. He yeah, was really yeah. good in Iron yeah. Man. Yeah, I, actually speaking of something I learned from the DVD extras going back to the Larry Sanders show DVD extras that he had Sharon Stone in there and I remember watching that extra where it's like him and Sharon Stone like reminiscing. They met in an acting class in, that cl- in Roy's class in yeah. Roy's class yeah. and I guess dated or this sort of implied that they had something going on and like they're watching this footage of themselves and like she like just grabs his hand it's like we were so young oh, and like I, it was such a like a really i remember that wonderful. from that dvd extras and like they really made that into 
I mean, I guess you and everyone who worked on that, th- those were really, really amazing, like, uh, insights into Gary and just like... Gary, this, that DVD, in a way, is the most revealing thing mm-hmm. he ever did, more than the Larry Sanders show. Right. Because he, yes, it's under the guise of, I want to go back and re-examine this mm-hmm. monolith that I created that everyone loved and what was really going on. Mm-hmm. And... I, you know, it's he wanted to break down all of those artifices. Yeah, I mean, you saw how Carol Burnett reacted to it. She was like, oh, "This is the weirdest interview. I don't even know what's going on." Yeah, right. You know, yeah. and then the Gervais thing. Oh, happens. we got to talk about the Gervais. Oh, thing. I mean, there's, Lord. there's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot going. Yeah, and uh, I read a review of that Gervais thing that was just like he's trying to actually you know, school him a little bit in a way. Gary where, is. Yeah, where like, and it's just clearly like not, he's not picking up on it. He's just yeah. like, try not thinking. It's like, <laughs> like a little squirrel. Like, yeah. what, what does that mean? Yeah. How do, how do I not think? Well, like, it's kind of weird because Ricky's obviously has, he looks up to Gary Shanley, but also has this weird arrogance about it. Or, or it's, it's it's a weird teeter totter of status changes that okay, keep going. Okay, that's I, I feel like, status. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the yes, yeah, and I feel like how you view that interview is a reflection more of you than mm-hmm. of them. Because some people are just like, "Well, yeah. Gary is the biggest a hole in right. the world. This mm-hmm. guy is not even giving him a chance to connect with them." Right. And other people are like, "This is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. This next level kind. <laughs> he wanted you, you talk about cringe comedy. Yeah. This is this in is real life cringe comedy." Yeah. Wait, and and then other people are like, uh, "Oh, uh, yeah, he's, Gary's just trying to maybe." bring this guy in and show him a little, another level of where he could go. Mm-hmm. Well, he had so. just created one of the biggest TV shows ever, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, Ricky at that point. Yes, and no so I can imagine he'd have some hubris and just being like, yeah, we're on the same level. And Gary's yeah. like, I've been in the business now 30 years. I was <laughs> a tonight show. <laughs> also like, just, he wasn't expecting him to be in the oh, house. Right. That's that the part, number the one kitchen thing. part. Oh, uh, he's just man. like, there's a camera in my kitchen. <laughs> kitchen. Like, let's not do. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, terrible impression. And you, get to see, you really got to see a little of the Shanling anger. Yeah. In that, which I'm glad was in it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like it was pretty infamous and you wouldn't want to be on the opposite end of that, you know? <laughs> Of course, of course. Yeah, you don't want to be on the, the receiving end. And then there's lots of people. Withering, that, I think we'd say. Withering. Yeah. Withering. Yeah, yeah. you saw um, Ed Solomon's story. Yeah. You know, he. Uh, he wrote Bill and Ted's, right? Yeah. And uh, Men in Black. And so he was like, I was really worried yeah. <laughs> when I said yeah. why this show isn't working on the level. So, um, Mr. Shanley, <laughs> if I could, um, yeah, it's like, uh, I don't know which, what. And then he was like, that's a really good idea. And he's like, whew, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'd live another day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the entertainment business. That's it's daunting. But yeah, the Ricky Gervais interview. Now people are like, they're like, they're sharing it, you know. Oh, right. Because they're like. It's interesting. It's really fascinating. Yeah. It's really. Again, I feel like it's a Rorschach. Am I saying that correctly? Rorschach. Say it again. Rorschach? Rorschach. Rorschach. Okay. Yeah. Rorschach. I feel like it is a Rorschach test. Mm-hmm. How you view that. Mm, interesting. Like, what a piece of garbage this guy is. Right. Or. Again. Well, what mm-hmm. do you think? What's your 
opinion on that. What's <laughs> your Rorschach? Rorschach? That's that's, podcast. What's your ink blot? Well, uh, I I don't know. I don't know what to make of. I don't know what to, I think Gary was mad at him to tell you the truth. Yeah. I thought he was really angry yeah. and it took him a long time to through settle that, down. To settle down and then find some kind of common ground comedically to to reach on and then but because I saw in Ricky Gervais, I know you call him Gervais. Yeah. I think that's wrong. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> remember, tweet at Wayne Fetterman. <laughs> no, no, it's just at Fetterman. It's oh, just sure. uh, the uh, that he did one with uh, Larry David that was, was fine. They just oh, yeah. they were funny and they riffed right. and it was like it was easy going and yeah. it, it. I I don't know. I don't know. It's it's just Gary being right a unique guy who wanted to be authentic yeah well i think i wasn't afraid of any of that if i may project wasn't afraid of coming off bad wasn't afraid of like none of the stuff that most people like trying to hide whatever you just want to be friendly and nice yeah yeah yeah. even if the guy was in your kitchen and you didn't want him there or looking through your fridge. It seems like he was on a journey to always be his authentic self though. So it's like, maybe he doesn't want to hide when the bullshit comes up. He's like, this is me. Yeah. Take it or leave it. You know, like, I know it's, it's, it's scary. It is scary. 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 There's a thing. Were you ever afraid of uh, upsetting Gary at any point? Not re not really. Cause he was, um, and, but I did a couple times accidentally and unintentionally yeah 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 and it wasn't it wasn't nice and i saw him i saw his it came at you i've i saw it go Over. at other people okay. too where i was like mm-hmm. oh, thank god that's not me mm-hmm. and it came at me a couple times but i'm we had a very easygoing fun comedic relate basically i was there playing basketball and then i was like his plus one for all these events he got invited to. So it was really? like we're at the premiere of that. I went, I can't, I have maybe 20 premieres I went to with wow, that guy. With Gary? Yeah, because I'm like an easygoing guy. Yeah, so yeah. it was never a thing and I right. could go off. I wasn't needy. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it was very, I was, that I was always like very grateful. Oh my God. I bet. That's lucky. Some... And it's in there. The very first Wayne Fetterman international film festival was Gary. He was the one. I, I told him of the idea, and he was like, I love it. I want to do it. Oh, That's film? the reason the festival exists. Really? In a, in a way, yeah. Did you show a film that he was in? No, this is the way this festival works is uh-huh. I pick a comedian, and they show a film uh, they love or were inspired right, by. Right. And so he showed The King of Comedy uh-huh. in, oh, yeah. in 1983. So but good. if you really think about it, and the reason he showed it was it informed the Larry Sanders show because there totally. was uh, the talk back, show, the backstage, yeah. and then that's brilliant. Yeah. And they shot the, uh, the, I think they shot her on video, the actual footage of the Jerry Langford show. Oh, I think that's, that's the way they worked it. And so I think Gary even saw that it was like, oh, it's just even the texture of film against this video. adds an. Jesus, Christ. and that's really what the Larry Sanders show was. It really is, right? Oh my God, yeah, that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. So. Ah, that's fucking brilliant. I know. Should we? We're go- done this podcast. Yeah, We're done, right. Let's, <laughs> should we go to the the question? The sure. Viewer? Like speaking of yeah, bringing up the film festival. Yeah, the yeah. listener question. We had someone ask. Um, What's his name or her name? It's uh, Mark. Uh, Mark. I Mark. thought it was a guy. Mark Hershon. Yeah. Mark. Mark Hershon. You know Mark? Yeah, that's right. Well, you guys met on his podcast. That's right. right. <laughs> it just occurred to me. That's right. 
I wanted to know what uh, films you had in mind for the next Wayne Fetterman well, International again, Film Festival. Well, again, he doesn't know the festival because right. it's not about the films. Right. It's about the comedians. Uh, it's about the Mark, comedians. Mark, Mark, Mark. I made the same mistake, Mark. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got the Fetterman anger. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? How was that? Mm. Was it uncomfortable? The short guy over here. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why am I being taken out? What's going on? <laughs> well, there you go. Um, so um, this is what's going on. It was done at Cine Family for five years. And uh, Gary, as I said before, Gary kicked it off in an incredible way. And Cine Family closed because of a sexual harassment. How would you describe it? Ugh. Well, sexual misconduct controversy. And right. some mismanagement, right? A combination of, <laughs> I think, that. a combination of those things. <laughs> well, it should stay open. Protecting then. people who <laughs> constantly were doing stuff, yeah. Right. So the theater is closed. So we that's where I did it. And I mean, I would love to do it. I'm going to put it out in the manifest yeah. way. I'd love to do it at the New Beverly. Oh, yeah. Oh. That's where I would like to do it, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. QT. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so... In the meantime, I do it once a year in New York as part of the New York Comedy Festival, but I only do like one or two screenings. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Julie Klausner oh, did wow. um, After Hours. Oh, you know? I love. Yeah, oh, we yeah, talk yeah. about that all the time. Yeah. You do? You oh, like the yeah. love After Hours? Well, Dana yeah. Gould, yeah, we, yeah. Oh, okay. What does that mean, Dana Gould? He, he loves that actor. Oh, Griffin Dunn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So we talked about, yeah, that's an awesome. So movie. she did that. Janine Garofalo did the Hot Rock. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie. Ugh, it's an incredible 70s movie with Robert Redford, George Siegel. Um, it's incredible. And then uh, Larry Wilmore did the Parallax View. Oh, right. The, uh, yeah. Nice. So it's it's been That's really awesome. fun. Oh, and then just last year, Brian Regan did uh, Midnight Run. Oh, okay. the nice. uh, Martin Brest. Yeah. So always comedians. Picking. Always comedian. As a rule, it's a mm-hmm. co- comedian. Yeah. Sometimes we'll do a comedic actor, right? But as a rule, it's a, it's a comedian. Who's the youngest comedian who chose the most recent film? Oh, was the most recent film shown? Yeah, that someone picked as like. Well, I don't I know if it's going to be the youngest. Yeah. I mean, I know um, Zach Galifianakis did a Blue Ruin. Do you know? The, I don't know Blue Ruin. Yeah, it's like this <laughs> violent, wonderful little independent movie. Um, not Kamel. Um, no, it is Kamel. Kamel Nanjian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did um, the Descent. I, oh. I like to call it the Descent because uh-huh. that seems like the way it's spelled. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so that's he loved. That's pretty recent. Some right? horror movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of horror. That's interesting. Yeah, there is. There's been a number of horrors. Kathy Griffin did um, the Her Dead Zone. No, oh, I think the Dead Zone oh, or yeah. something like that. Ooh. Yeah. So did Kamel say why he liked the Descent? Um. Yeah, he. Well, first of all, he was blown away by the movie, by the filmmaking, by the mm-hmm. story, completely. And that I think he likes that genre as well. I know he oh, does okay. an X Files podcast. Oh, right, right, right. right. It's a very X Filesy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's and Did, I, th- I think he just like the fact that it was. I don't know. I mean, and the director showed up, and he oh, came. Wow. Out. It was incredible night. Do you have the comic, the comedian on stage saying why they picked the movie, or this any- is how it works? Yeah. At the beginning, <clears throat> I bring him out. I like, hey, da, 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 we're going to show a little about why, maybe why I picked the movie, and then uh, we r- we'll riff a little bit, and then show the movie. They'll sit and watch, and then at the end, come up and 
go, I didn't remember that, or this was, I'm sorry, that was so boring, or, you know, and then, <laughs> and then people will ask questions, very interactive with the audience. It's not podcast. It's just for that night. That's and so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was just a blast to do. And I'm a film, you know, a little bit of a film nerd. So yeah. it was great for me. And I got to see some films that, a couple of films I had never seen before. Margaret Cho showed um, Darling, which I'm sure you've never heard of, a John Schlesinger film from 1965 that's oh, wow. incredible, yeah. incredible British movie. So, uh, Has anyone done a documentary? That's, no. That's, oh, good. No that's, one, that's a ground to be broken nah, yeah. no one has by done the a, next Federal Wayne Federman Film Festival. The Is Wayne. it documentary or documentary? Uh, well, the Australians would say doco. The document. Dalco. Dalco. I like this Dalco. All right. I think documentary. That's what I say. Yeah. What I say? Documentary. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Tree. But I, I say tree. Like I say yeah. like tree. Yeah. yeah, like a tree. Okay. Let's keep going. Well, one thing that the people that are listening to this um, yes. don't know is that we have in our hands and before us this Gary Shanling Memorial booklet that was handed out at his memorial. Correct. And this, you were saying before, which neither George and I knew, is the impetus to the documentary? I believe it is. <clears throat> That's and the photo of you and Gary is from that film festival, right? Yes. That's yeah. Oh, the, no that way. Photo is, yeah. Yes, that is... There's a, I'm in there a couple of times. You have to look very carefully. <laughs> it's all about me and where I'm in. In my in my copy, you have post-it notes on the pages you're in. <laughs> yeah. so. Everything else is sort of scratched out. <laughs> but also, like, yeah, the scans of his journals, which is, I a, think that's what makes this film really pop, it's too. It's incredible. Yes. Having all of that personal insight. Like, yeah. Well, I will tell you a little something about the scan, because you can see that his handwriting sometimes is it's for him. So right. we, mm-hmm. it wasn't ever that we did kind of reanimate mm-hmm. the reanimator a little bit. So it was a little clearer. Uh, yeah. Just just for clarity. Crisping you know, it up a little. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So that And like that, that method of like the kind of the Michael Sarah voiceover. Yeah. And then you kind of see the text unfold so. onto the page. Yeah. It's a really cool effect. Oh, I it's think. brilliant. And it seems like Charlie Rose. <laughs> <laughs> to put- I know. And so many people from the time we started the documentary yeah. to like yeah. that whole me too right. avalanche yeah. happened there was a piece that someone wrote uh who was a female writer yeah. on the show and maybe we can address that I, i'm blanking on her name right now but i can put a link to it in the show notes she, about how she felt like you know the mentor everyone's talking about what a great mentor he was and she did not feel of that course, way. of course and that's yeah. represented i think especially i was thinking about this when we talk about like the, the national lampoon documentary about like how you know, marginalized women were right. in that in that scene, and and like that's just maybe a product of this era. But it is interesting, yeah. Like a lot of stuff's happened in the last. I mean, the fact that Brad Gray came up with Harvey Weinstein is also interesting. I had no idea. I did not know that and either. Yeah, Buff- that was from yeah, Buffalo. You keep asking me like things. I like. I was like, what? Yeah. yeah. And that picture of Weinstein is shocking. Yeah. He kind of looks like Seth Rogen. Like a member, yes, he does. Members yeah. only jacket, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With those classic I don't want to be a member. <laughs> <laughs> and out of the Buffalo music scene? Well, yeah. So Brad Gray came out. Of, we got to touch on that, too. But like, we're jumping around. Let's say like we were talking about how this book came together uh, within like a month. The memorial was like within a month of him passing I think away. It was, I think it might have been six weeks from mm-hmm. the time he passed. And so we... So Judd started looking through pictures and we were just like Judd was in charge of putting together the memorial service. So he actually wrote a little skit. You don't see it in the documentary that uh, Jeffrey Tambor does at the beginning. Mm. Uh, 
Oh, very Larry, yeah, very Larry Sanders esque. It was just beautiful, and and they they talk about Brad. He talks about Brad Gray. Is he there because he has something he wants to pitch to him? You know, it was like <laughs> it was just a great thing. So, um, so anyway, so he wanted to put this booklet together, and I guess he got Universal to pay for it. Wow. Uh, you know, Judd, he's like yeah. great at the business. Yeah, he's great. He's, he says a sense of it, and so. Uh, so as he was putting, he started going through these diaries, which he no one had ever read. And it was like, oh, my God, these quotes are incredible. It's about stand up and be yourself and how not to be nervous and fear. And yeah. And all of that stuff. So he says, I'm going to put these in this book. And so between that, this little book and putting together video clip packages to play in between the speakers, um, that was the impetus for the documentary. And he pitched it to an outfit called Home Box Office. Huh. Yeah. A little upstart. A little upstart. Yeah. And I have to, I mean, I hate to say it, but it was just the perfect, I mean, obviously that's where the show, that's where Larry Sanders show was and they right. had just bought the rights back to it. Yeah. So it was, but they were as supportive as it was like a dream. Yeah. It was like, it was like Whatever you want to do. Yeah. You want to make it 90 minutes, 90 minutes. You want to make it longer, whatever you think this should be, right. do it. Yeah. And so that's that's, a, that's awesome. hard to find. That I mean, is. Yeah. Must, that's a lot. There's a lot of so love. So that's there. one of the reasons I think the documentary is as good as it is. That's awesome. That the um, Kevin Nealon eulogy just brought me to tears when I watched this. Like mo from the most, I would say the entire doc, I was like, this is awesome. And there's some beautiful moments, but his eulogy was incredible. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Incredible. I'm so Those glad. Those jokes are amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, perfectly crafted jokes that you might think of like you would have done over years to get the mm -hmm. wording correctly. Right. Was yeah. the albatross around. I mean, it was. <laughs> I know. It was perfect. <laughs> and excuse me. I don't really know the timeline but did brad die after yes. gary okay mm -hmm. yeah he died while we were making the documentary got it huh and that's boy that's a tough one because they seem like brothers they seem really close picture them in bed together right. like hugging yeah and like, mm -hmm. yeah i mean they they built that whole empire together right yeah and then there was some snafu with money and um, well, it wasn't only money. It was you, it's in the documentary, but there's right. a huge break between yeah. Brad Gray, who is now this mega producer. He's doing The Soprano, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and it was just heartbreaking for Gary. Right. And he went after him, yeah. and then Brad Gray came after him twice as hard. Twice as hard with, with like, which is wiretapping with wiretapping and private <laughs> investigators and and you know whisper campaigns and this guy's crazy and all of that stuff. I yeah. mean, it was and then like Gary, and it really yeah it shocked that is. But I have shocking. to say, Gary did go after him, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm not defending Brad, but I'm saying he did sue him for a hundred million dollars. That's that's a lot of money. That's your company. Yeah, and it's your it's, reputation's pretty much everything. You know, I he was like, "Oh, you want to play?" <laughs> yeah, I, I just assumed that was it. Yeah, you want to mm -hmm. dance? You feeling yeah, froggy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was intense, and I, I don't know if Jay, I don't know if that clip is in the documentary, but oh, you've seen you've seen stuff that's on the cutting room floor of this. Yeah, I I know Jay said that he Jay Leno felt like that Gary was never the same after that. I mm. think that that might have yeah. At one time we had that in there, and I kind of agree with that. Yeah, it was just never. 
You can see it in the dock, right? That yes. He's, oh, yes. Course. That definitely what do you was. See? Like, I'm just curious because I'm so close to this. Yeah. It's hard right. For, I because I, I didn't remember any of that lawsuit uh-huh. stuff. I just kind of remember Gary kind of going away for a while. Right. In the public eye. That's and then right. maybe some of that whisper campaign stuff even got to like just mm-hmm. like the casual fan because like like what happened? Did he get a little nuts? What uh, he mm-hmm. was being paranoid, but he was being wiretapped. So it was accurate. <laughs> well, of course, of course. There's a part paranoia. of the documentary where someone's talking. They're like, we thought he was crazy because he was saying he was hearing clicking noises on the phone <laughs> and telling people he thought he was being wiretapped. Right. And they're like, Gary's gone crazy. Yeah. It turns out, nope. He knew he what he was talking about. Yeah. That's insanity. I can't imagine. But yeah, no, that would be very traumatic for having someone you came up with who like was like, I don't know, I guess like your co-producer on your show. Was he also a co-producer on the first show on the Gary Shanley? Yep. Okay. Yep. So just the whole time taking cuts, being his manager and being a producer and poaching talent. That was the part I didn't right. know. Yes, that poaching was the, talent that was for the other big shows. Part. That that's, was the big part. That's really that's low down. Un- uncouth. Yeah, Even though, because he now doesn't yeah. have Gary's interests. Right. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and he's the manager. And then there's... there's which is his job. Yeah, which is his fucking job. And there's an amazing scene. Are managers supposed to have your interests? <laughs> I think so. I haven't, I've we never haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> haven't. But there's that scene in the Larry Sanders show. Oh, I think this is in the doc as well. But um, Bob Odenkirk is yeah, Larry's yeah. agent. Oh, playing basically a bright version. Yeah. Okay. And he was like, fuck you. I never want to talk to you again. Goodbye. And then he's like, don't we have a meeting in like 30? He's like, yeah. So how, how's the wife? I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking right, awesome. Right. I'm sure that was part of yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, that well, was too bad that happened. Yeah. And I do think it really affected him. Sure. I really do. But then that, also, I mean, there was a number of things that yeah. the movie he did with Mike Nichols, oh, his, yeah. his, the movie he wrote, I think also. And, I mean, I think it seems like in the diaries, there's even these lines where he's like, at a certain point, I think Brad has a surgery or something and he's, or something happens and he's just like, forgive him. Or like, right. oh, he's no telling question. himself like the most Buddhist shit he can do. Just be like, like he is who he is, you know. We were close at one point. Like I'm, I don't, I don't begrudge. We settled this. I don't begrudge. Hundred percent. I mean, it's that's very the, hard. That's the hardest thing is to let go of grudges. I oh, think man. Yeah. it's really like that is like the most Buddhist stuff you can get to. That's, and I think that I, I think if you didn't have the framing device of like calling this like the Zen Diaries, mm-hmm. then it's just like kind of like a showbiz documentary that you're used to seeing. This really gives you a, like an angle on mm-hmm. the whole thing, I think. Yeah. No question. And yeah. I think when we started finding those diary notes and put them in this booklet right here that I'm holding, mm-hmm. that that was the, like the epiphany of like, oh, this is how mm-hmm. we tell his story. Right. And Through I think, his words. Right. And, and also even the way he was saying, like the way the fight with Brad Gray, he's like, I'm standing up. Or a lot of times I think there's other things where he's like, I'm standing up for myself. It's yes. not about yeah. vengeance. And I think it's like, you can forgive someone after you've stood up for yourself, but you still need to like, you can't just like be like, I'm just going to. And I think that might be as a very West Coast thing. I'm like, you know, maybe they didn't treat me so great, but they're going to do something for me. Or right, like, you right. know, do you just like let that shit. It's the slide. whatevering of things yeah. that happen in your life. But also, yeah. I mean, don't forget, he also picked up boxing late in his life. I was going to ask about that. Too. Yeah. Like, how and is I it was like, always boot- fascinated by yeah. that because I've tried boxing it's, and it's horrible. Yes. Somebody's punching you in the face. It's 30 just, seconds of boxing is like an hour of running. First of all, it's exhausting. Besides yeah. the exercise, but just the psych, the psychology of someone just attacking you and that Especially, you have to let all of that, like, 
taking the punch and giving a punch yeah. are supposed to be the same Let's thing. Let's talk about Alec Baldwin scenes. It, uh, yeah. Oh Especially when it's Alex Baldwin punching you. Yeah. yeah. Alec. Alec is really hitting Gary. Yeah, like you see, It's even more in the DVD extra. You can see how yeah. much Gary is shocked how strong he is. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to get punched by Alec Baldwin, honestly. Yeah. No. Yeah, that or Long Gary Island yeah. anger of just like, Blue like seven brothers or <laughs> yeah. something. Yeah, 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 I don't want to brawl with that. Yeah. <laughs> and he seems like a like a pretty competitive person, Alec Baldwin. Like It's oh, like yeah. he's not going to just like go well, soft. He says it. Yeah. He said it. I mean, that was the most amazing thing that like... When he gets on a set, he wants to destroy everyone. And well, yeah. So like, I found I remember watching that DVD extra and being yeah. kind of confused. I'm like, he's I thought Gary was all zen now. Well, he's been <laughs> he's real into like beating beating people up or getting beat up. I or, think there is a zen thing to boxing, right? Well, it's like there's a meditation involved because you can't think of anything else. You know? Right. Like you it's have to be purely in it. You're in the now. Yeah. And that's how I feel about basketball. Like that's why I like to play basketball because everything else goes away. And you're mm-hmm. just t- thinking about what you're going to do with this defender on you and if you can shoot over him or right. not. Right. Or like there's a flow to these yeah, things. Yeah, there's a flow. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's like if you're into Zen stuff too, like I think you right. just want to achieve some kind of flow. Yeah. Flow yeah. states. I, I mean, I could see boxing being meditative and like hurtful. Well, when <laughs> did the, the thyroid issue come up? Because I was also thinking, like, you get head injuries with boxing too, and that can, like, you know, just like with like football players or like whatever, anything like that. Of course. Probably... I mean, I don't know. I mean, they wear the headgear, yeah, so yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. if it's quite the. But I would think yeah. your head, your brain would be rattled a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing we have yet to talk about is yeah. is his brother. Mm-hmm. And so uh, yeah. like, what I got from watching this doc and I didn't realize about about Barry, his brother who died of cystic fibrosis, is that later on in life, if you haven't dealt with it well enough, anybody that you let in close, very close to you. And, and I imagine people like that, like Gary, um, didn't let a lot of people close. But if you do and then they they do something that pisses you off or it feels like disloyalty is like the a big scar in your life. The abandonment which, issues. basically, Exactly. Yeah. Which explains the Brad Gray stuff, yes. which is like yeah. I let you in and you are picking other people over me. Like, where's the fucking loyalty? Fuck you. Hundred million dollar lawsuit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and like the brother aspect of it, right? Yeah. It's like the, this. You talk about recreating the familial yes. environment, and I think, uh, yeah, like Sarah said, it. I think it comes up a couple other times in here, and I think a lot of people, maybe just in in general, but also I know, like in like music and comedy and stuff, like you kind of had a rough relationship with your birth family, yeah. so you're just kind of trying to recreate something with the chosen family. You can't fake it in the ring. You've got to really know yourself. And uh, the punching and getting punched has to be one. It's a very soul-searching, zen kind of experience because you have somebody throwing punches at you and you have to transcend that, which is like transcending life. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get to know an icon in the in the career that you chose as well, like that right. happens almost to no one. You know, like that's very lucky. Now he's very supportive and 
You can see even at the end, like when he got on Twitter, like when I did the Tonight Show, he twittered about that. And I wrote this article and he sent something out about that that oh, I wrote wow. about Richard Pryor. And he was just very, he's great. And how he, I'm sure he'd be extremely proud of your book. You oh. have a book about Pistol Pete, Pete Yeah, Maravich. yeah, yeah. Yes, he knows about the, yeah, he did. He was, he was. He was, he was just very, again, I feel like the last, the part where he went away was very much helping other people, mm-hmm. oh, not yeah. just me, not, mm-hmm. and it, obviously you can see, right. Well, it wasn't just me. And didn't he have a note in the doc that says, I just want to help people, mm-hmm. um, like mentoring people yeah, or be yeah. a mentor. Yeah. yeah. And it was really an active thing. It wasn't like, Oh, I like he really, he walked it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Like Sasha Baron Cohen was someone that yeah, was close to him. That was surprising to me. Me too. And he, but he, so there's something that Sasha says, this was actually another question from my friend Bert who wanted to ask if you knew what this was. But Sasha says in the doc that he helped him. Sasha says he yes. helped me. But he doesn't say what he did for him. Oh, so. well, I think he, it was for Borat and, God, what was it? He, he's, I know Sasha's talked about it before, but there was, there was some reshoot or something for Borat that kind of tied it together in a, a way. Yeah, I know it was Borat. It was definitely okay. Borat. Yeah. yeah. It was like a script thing or something. It was, yeah, because there was mm-hmm. so much footage they had for Borat. I'm like, we know this is funny. Like, how can we make this arc work? Right. Because yeah. he says in the doc about watching it, I think he said he was on the BBC Four or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like his friends oh, were watching all, the show, right? Yeah, yeah, watching Larry Sanders show and his friends were all into it. And yeah, that's that's awesome. Because, um, I mean, just to get help when you're... I, I don't know how old Sasha was when you made Borat, but like just coming up and having someone well, like I'm sure, you know, 30s, you, know so. you never really, because I'm over here, like you'd never, <laughs> like those guys in England, they so look up to like big American they stars. They love uh, Larry David too. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's such a British type of, <laughs> of humor in Larry David. Of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. Have you seen that doc where they the guy what? gets accused of murder and he goes to Dodger Stadium and I know the story. Yeah, I know the story. I have not seen the doc, but I do know that Larry David saved that guy's life. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. I know, <laughs> especially if you know Larry David. Which, but yeah, like I, yeah, so that was a surprising mentor mentee figure. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, did you feel like you had like some specific mentors, or did you have a mentor relationship with Gary? Definitely, him and Judd have like a very mentor. Well, I feel like they're almost like. Uh, Sometimes it's father son. Sometimes it's a brother brother mm-hmm. situation. Where, um, no, I mean, not really. I wasn't. I mean, wherever I could get ins- inspiration, I would try to get. But I would say Gary helped me quite a bit, mm-hmm. especially in like in stand up and trying to cut away any kind of artifice, which is a really hard thing to do. Very hard. Really difficult. Especially if you like doing silly comedy. Like yeah. silliness kind of has an artifice to it. Yeah. And he, he was great. He was a great writer. And, I, you know, when he would go on Bill Maher, I would help him, like, prepare for that kind of stuff. And we'd banter some stuff back and forth. Oh, wow. Where did you first did you meet Judd on the Larry Sanders oh, show? Oh, no. The Judd Fetterman story is amazing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you want to hear it? Uh, yeah, I just heard him leave you a voicemail earlier. Yeah. Um he is the first person I met when I went out to California in nineteen the end of eighty five in a fact finding mission. 
Whoa. Fact finding, like, can I do this? So I went to uh, the improv, the comedy store, and the Laugh Factory. And I think the first one was the Laugh Factory. And Judd Apatow, who was a freshman at USC, Mm. was hanging out in front of it looking for acts to book at USC. What? And booked me at USC. What? Yeah. How long have you been doing stand-up? At that point. Four or five years. He oh, knew wow. about me. He knew of who I was. He heard about yeah, you. Yeah. And it was like, do you want to do this? So that's, so we got booked at USC, Bovard Auditorium. Wow. And uh, Neil, it was myself, Kevin Nealon. First time I met, this is pre-SNL, Kevin Nealon. And uh, a guy named Tommy Sledge. And there was one other act I can't remember. And that was the start of a like, like friendship with Judd. I obviously he's, I helped him on this, you know, in, wow. I did an episode of crashing. I mean, it's been an amazing relationship. Oh, like, thank God I was nice to that kid. Thank God. Freshman. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Wow. That's really cool that you, you guys maintain the friendship after, you know, I know we have a good thing. We have a good thing. Yeah. That's awesome. And you came out of Florida. I came out of went to NYU drama and started my stand up career in New York. Yep. Got it. Yep. Oh wow. And Judd is out of New York, right? Or did he go to New York and then went to USC and that's and then stayed out here. Crazy. So we used to we used to do stand up together and write stand up together and but even like when I think about it, I know this is a tangent, but when I think about it, he was even at that time, again, booking USC and then they had this other gig where he would book UC Santa Barbara. And Sammy Shore, who was the guy who started the comedy store and got divorced from Mitzi, he had a room in Marina Del Rey that Judd was booking. Mm. He was like 20 or something. Wow. Like, so he always had like a a dual, like he could always write his comedy and do that, but he also had like kind of a producing, helping other people. Right, right. And, situate. and that continues with Amy Schumer and, right. you know, yeah. all of this Um and even Pete Holmes now and Crash. So you're yeah. this season of Crashing? Yes. Yes. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. I've seen Pete walk his dog in my neighborhood. I guess he, we're kind of neighbors. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Good story. That's a good story. That is a good story. <laughs> That's fascinating. That's stuff. incredible. It's, it's not a Pico, Pico Rivera story. It's a more of a. What is, who does it say more about that Judd <laughs> and Gary came, were close for all those years? Like, I mean, it seems like. Getting close to Gary meant like if you made a wrong turn. I, I think Judd figured out Gary right away. I think Judd figured out I I how to be part of this and like he was he directed an episode of the Larry Sanders show. So like that's how much Whoa. like Gary loved him. Yeah, yeah. And and also Judd had his own career going. He was doing the critic or some cartoon at the time. Right, so right. he he couldn't work full time on Larry Sanders, but. I th- can I tell her real quickly? I remember Please. when Judd met Gary because I think they might have had the same manager or something. Or, I'm not sure. And it was pitched to him as a joke writer to help him write the Grammy Awards. You know, this kid, I guess. So Judd, so Gary was like, can you give me like a page of jokes? Like just how you think and stuff. And Judd, and this is a great lesson for anyone, wrote like a hundred jokes. Wrote like... Eight pages of jokes or wow. something. Yeah. And all of them were, even if the punchlines weren't good, Gary was like, oh, I like this premise and I'll fix it and stuff like that. But I'm just saying, like, people who want to get into show business, go above and beyond. Yeah. A little yeah. Bit. Mm-hmm. Do, you know? do yeah. more than you're yeah, asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And that was the start of it. Wow. That's that's pretty impressive. I know. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah. I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, it was like... No, no. I would try to write like... Try to get 12 good jokes, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, you have to have some brashness and some balls. Of, I mean... I mean, f- Gary famously went to see Carlin. Yeah, same story. Yeah. Same kind of thing, which mm-hmm. is like, uh, you know, how do I do this? And he's like, these are my jokes. Like, <laughs> man, I wouldn't be, I don't know if I'd be able to do that with like someone that I really look up to and be like, right. here's my jokes. What do you think? <laughs> oh, well, if you said it like that, probably. Yeah. Not. Although, I mean, you probably don't remember this, but I hosted a show at the improv that you were on. Yeah. And you and Judd were talking. And then I was standing there in awe, and you said, what kind of jokes do you do? Do you remember that? You probably don't remember that. To me. And I was like, I don't want to answer that question. Oh, no. <laughs> that's too Sorry. Much. No, no, it's fine. You're being funny. I just like, that's, Sorry. that's too much. Sounds like me. a dick thing. No, no, no. <laughs> Sounds horrible. No, it was fine. It was. We you know, know where you live now. I know. <laughs> yeah, I no. try to put up this, this image of this nice guy, and it turns out I'm horrible. Do you know anything about this picture here with uh, Gary and George H.W. Uh, Bush? It's uh, did well, he do like a roast or something? No, no, no. Oh, he did the uh, correspondence yeah, dinner. No, yeah. he did the correspondence mm-hmm. dinner. Okay. I, I, I don't know if it was the correspondence. It was something like that. Mm-hmm. Something like there's that. A, yeah. There's a couple of press events with the president. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And yeah, he brought oh. Gary in and he kind of roasted him a little bit yeah. and in a very from you know funny way and. That's it was, it's a different time back. Yeah, <laughs> presidents. Now we have a president. When the who presidents won't even actually go, go to yeah, yeah exactly. The, the, well, they go to the events and mm-hmm. like I was talking to Dana Carvey about that. I hate to drop a name about like because he did the same thing with you know. Oh, he fun. did the impression. Of yeah, right, he did yeah. An impression of him. But by the end, Dana Carvey was the last like goodbye to his staff at the White House. He brought in Dana Carvey. Yeah, that's awesome. Like you can imagine. Yeah. Trump bringing in no. Alec Baldwin, to, it'd be no. insane. That would be insane. Be I love that scene too in the doc where Dana Carvey's doing his oh, impression. Just to show you how talented Dana Carvey is. <laughs> yeah, he is so, so talented. He is a very talented guy. Yeah, but that scene is fucking hysterical because Gary plays it so well with his like, no, I'm fine with it, but I'm not. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Roy London, baby. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Roy London. Um. And and like also like it also is incredible to me that like someone like myself, if I got a writing job on Sanford and Son, I would have just stuck with it until the end of time, until they took me out of the writers' room. And someone like Gary, who's like, this isn't enough. This is not what I want to do. Like I need to f- keep pushing, keep getting moving forward. Like, well, that was again. You kept. Let's go back to our original question. Was there anything I learned? That was yeah. another thing that I never really put together. Was he would do something and then quit. Right. He did the Tanya show and quit. He'd do this show and stop. Yeah. He did Larry Sanders. That could that show. He stopped that show. See, I not didn't HBO. Know that. Right. You know, uh, he just couldn't do it anymore. And then, uh, and he did two stand up specials and stuff. So that was his that was thing. His thing. He, he wanted to just refocus on something. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Right? That's incredible. That yeah. Is, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. I'd be a staff writer on, you know. Of yeah. course. I mean, to me, I'm like. That's I, a dream job. People give dream, up. Yeah. Exactly. People get divorced to get a. Like, I, yeah. I don't need you in my life anymore. No. I have now have a staff job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that level of comfort is enough to keep me satiated forever. Where I'm mm-hmm. like, I did it. I'm like, I'm a staff writer somewhere. Yeah. Have you have you done a staff writer on a show? No, no. 
I've never tried to. Yeah. Never tried. I mean, I was on, I wrote, I was the head monologue writer on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. That's as close to uh, well, that's everyday kind of doing jokes situation. How does that work? I'm fascinated by monologue writers. Well, I, I'm, I'm fascinating. Yeah, you are, <laughs> and you are fascinating. But how does that work? Like, you, This is when it was in New York and you mm-hmm. were out there for a little bit? I went yeah. to launch the yeah. show. He brought me out to launch the show. I didn't know show. that. that yeah. is fa- I'm seriously fascinated because when I was growing up, my favorite part of Letterman, because I'm a huge Letterman fan, was his monologue. And I was wondering, like, how does that work yeah. every day? Like, what do you do? Like, so well, how- There's usually a head guy who has the, confi- the confidence of the, the performer and then a bunch of writers who pitch jokes on topics. We send out the night before. I know this we're tangenting this, but it is in a way connected yeah, to Larry Sanders yeah. and uh, that we would send out topics from the news and some people would write the night before and then in the morning more topics, you know, whatever. You know, Bill Clinton went to Ireland or, the, right. you know, this. Yeah. And <laughs> what, the you know, those jokes kind of write themselves. Right. And then... They would pitch a bunch of jokes, and you, I would decide which ones I like. I'd bring them in. Jimmy would look at them and go, I like these, these, and these. And then let's pitch out some more jokes for the afternoon and then and put together it. a monologue. Well, Jimmy would try them out in front of an audience, but oh. others would just, like Leno, would just kind of look and circle, and like, I'll do this, this, this. And then you put them in an order. How's that look? And, you know, we'd go, no, yes. And then when he's they're taping that, do you just go back and start writing more, or is there any time off between? No, I mean you. I mean, so again, there's jokes that go out. There. I mean, there's topics that you can write on the night before. Yeah, that's so. A- it's yeah, it's a it's a real. It's very much a what's the word for it? Groundhog Day job. Oh uh, yeah, like oh we just did this. Yeah, oh we're doing it again. Yeah, oh we're writing jokes again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's happening today? We're writing <laughs> jokes. And if they have, t- <laughs> you know, they are in a way all the same. I hate to say it. I mean, there's yeah. many different angles to it, but it's all like it's going to be. Well, right. in the era that we're in now, that's I. I mean, I think I've heard people like Lori Kilmartin talk about this too because she yes. does it for Conan. It's like now you're competing with Twitter. Now it's like uh, you like you got to make you feel like it's a higher bar. Not well. It's just like you. I guess it's a difference of like anytime something happens, there will be so many jokes on Twitter that you really have to like A to C or like A to D. Like you need to like not just get all the low hanging fruit out of the way mm-hmm. and then go for something that's not obvious. Oh, interesting. Because a lot of the, the obvious jokes are just going to get made on Twitter right away. Right, right, right. Of course, of course. Yeah. That's interesting. Crowdsourcing it. But it's like, yeah, that's like in the area era before Twitter, then there was like, like sometimes in. The the you know the shows that were daily would have similar monologue yeah. jokes just by default of like you're picking from you know parallel thinking of course of course that's interesting is I'm wondering what, that's hmm. when at midnight did the hashtag games it was like that was the thing I'm like don't do the obvious thing first because everyone's gonna do the most obvious thing so you really kind of like did like, you play that I I did a little bit uh, Paco got uh, yeah, uh, one, on one of those yeah I did yeah. Uh, for Snowy Celebrity I wrote Leonardo de it's Cold. <laughs> I mean, it's all puns also. Yeah. So it's just also, I love puns. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, and the, uh, the other thing I was surprised about in this doc is his near-death experience, which seemed to have, like, a huge ramification on, like, the rest of his life. You mean, when, like, when when the car accident? Yeah, the car yeah. accident. Yeah, which is, it, like, that would profoundly affect pretty much everybody. But that seemed to have a real effect on Gary and kind mm-hmm. of the, like, fuck, I could have died, so let's 
you know, let's do everything now. Let's I know. And he also has a crazy, not, I'm going to strike the word crazy, okay. as a very uh, shockingly metaphysical experience where he hears a voice right. that says, do you want to keep living in Gary Shanley's life? Yeah. Whatever that is. Right. And he, you know, he told that story. So yeah. it's not, so yeah. how would that affect you? Yeah, that would affect me a lot. <laughs> he seems to even like write about himself in the third person a lot in his diaries, oh, which is fascinating. Like he's just ah. like, whatever I do on stage will be Gary Shandling. It'll I'll, I will do what Gary Shandling would do. He yeah. just has this like really uh, interesting remove like third person view of himself, right? Which is good. You know, like you need that kind of. Can I tell you one quick thing that he told me mm-hmm. that was the moment he has that scene with. Um, uh, Carrie Fisher, not oh, yeah. seeing the the banter with Carrie Fisher and yeah. your parents were this and Irv and Muriel Shanling. And that when he did that joke and Carson laughs and then laughs more, I don't know if you, re- you should really watch Carson in that bit and in that moment. And that Gary said that Carson told him that that was the moment he knew that he would be a good host for the show. Oh, wow. That it was a host kind of joke. Yeah. As opposed to just a stand-up joke. Right. Wow. And then he was hosting very shortly after that. That's insane. Man, think of, like, Johnny's so clued in on that stuff. And he's like, that's the joke that's going to make you a host, kid. Yeah, you're you're capable of doing that kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was incredible. Off the cuff material. That is very funny. That was very funny. Yeah, that was inc- yeah. <laughs> See, but watch Carson if you okay. watch that again. Watch his reaction to it. Yeah, he's he, really delighted because I think, he, of course, he's thinking. You know, in his mind, he's thinking, "Oh, what would I be saying?" Mm-hmm. And like, "Oh, yeah. oh, this kid's got something." Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And Carson was so generous with young comedians. Think about it. I mean, you don't see anyone guest hosting. I mean, when oh, yeah. Letterman got sick, a little right. bit, but well, it's Joan Rivers, right? Was the other one, but I guess that was like that all ended when yeah. she did her show. Right? Yeah, but I'm just saying, you never saw a guest host isn't even a thing. That no, was, you're right. Carson didn't care. It was like, yeah, I'm better. Uh, I'm yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm fine. Magnanimous. And then they say that like he also was in a sketch. Uh, Carson was in a Larry Sanders sketch. Yes. No, yeah. no, no. Not in Larry Sanders. In the 25th anniversary special. I don't know. It was called the Gary Shanling. This was a special one-off. <laughs> I think it was for Showtime. Uh-huh. And it was a fake talk. Again, okay. it pre-echoes Larry Sanders. <laughs> right. And he's doing a show, but it's an anniversary show. 25th anniversary. anniversary show. There's like early <laughs> clips of him in black and white with the hair and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. And Carson oh. was on that. Oh, oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, they show like the talking horse and stuff. Like, oh, it's that's silly. That's, it's actually pretty good. I know you mentioned Paul Wilson. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah, Paul yeah, Wilson. Paul, yeah. yeah, so. Uh, yeah, Paul Wilson's one of my favorites. Just from the original Gary Shandling show. It's like he's the perfect foible, you right. know, like. Yeah, and then like Jeffrey Tambor. He keeps picking these great like antagonists and stuff for his stuff. Incredible. Yeah, that is incredible.
All right. So what else do we have? Um, we not much left other than like basically Talk about Mitzi. We talked we, about yeah. I was just gonna say his mom. Like his mom was or like his relationship with women. I think you could template back to his mom, right? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, that relationship. I feel like most male comedians have some tenuous relationship with their mom. It felt very familiar to me. Yes, like, some of that felt very familiar. <laughs> me too. Yeah, like that. Then I like when I first opened up the this Gary Shanley Memorial book, and it was like my mom wants me to have kids, but not with other women. It's like <laughs> one of the funniest <laughs> fucking lines. <laughs> <laughs> awesome because that just wraps it up in a nutshell yeah well i this has been awesome thank you Wayne, thank this you it's been so great thank you for having us in your new home and sharing ah. these stories with us you're gonna have cold food you're gonna have wi-fi yeah you're gonna wi-fi was just installed <laughs> yeah. it was at the beginning of this podcast i didn't have wi-fi yeah yeah as soon yeah. as i get off i'm gonna that's put what in my Doc can do for you yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and also you are our, our first repeat guest what? Yeah. Yeah. Like we've had two uh, part episodes. Yeah, no, yeah. Adam Fowler, but then that one was a live show. So, first repeat guest, like where it's just all about and you. And again, I'm going to say, I'm going to echo what I said at the beginning, which is I was hesitant to do this because, I, again, I feel like I don't want to take credit. <laughs> yeah. Even right. though I do have a screen credit and I was involved with this, there was other people that really were nuts and bolts. It was a year. From the time he decided to do this, of just finding footage, going mm-hmm. through the diaries, uh, before we even shot any interviews or anything, wow. a year of trying mm-hmm. to find that footage. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Were you on set for any of the interviews? Yeah. Okay. For most so of you were, most Okay, so that's why you have a credit. Come on. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm not, but I'm saying there were people. <laughs> right. I didn't go through his diaries. Right, right, yeah, right. I didn't find all that footage and mm-hmm. decide and like the, yeah. That's yeah. all. That's all I'm saying. Got so it. it is really very much Judd's vision of it, and other people did way more producing than I did. Right on. Well, thank you for having us, and this was awesome. Welcome to my home. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of SupDoc, show notes, updates, and more at SupDocPodcast.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SupDocPodcast. If you have comments, corrections, or want to suggest a documentary, email us at SupDocPodcast at gmail.com. The show is listener-supported. You can donate to the show at Patreon.com slash SupDocPodcast. If you can't donate financially, please subscribe, comment, or tell a friend about SupDoc. We'd like to thank Documentary News for their ongoing support. SupDoc is produced by Will Scoble. Our theme music is by David Siegel. 